not entertained, welcome to the Lido Guards. Everybody, this is episode two of the Leoverse, where you enter my world, but you are the center of that universe. Um, today, I have uh, with me uh, Stephen. Um, Stephen, I, I sent you two questions ahead of this interview. Um, these are always my standard interviews. These are the only two interviews that you know, questions you know that I'm going to give in this interview. So. The first question I gave you was, how does the world see you? And before you answer that, I'm going to tell you, um, give you an example of how I answer it or would answer it. And this is going to change at every interview. So um, I would say the world sees me as a black George Costanza, short, stocky, wears glasses and slightly balding. So that's what I would give as an answer. And the second question was, how do you see yourself? And how do I see myself? I see myself as a family man, um, father, husband, and now a podcaster. So I'm going to switch the question to you. Um, how does the world see you, Stephen? Well, it's uh, kind of interesting because growing up, I was, uh, you know, I was born hard of healing or deaf. And uh, growing up, I always had a lot of people that would view me as being um incapable of doing things, doing things or they underestimate me um and and because of that when i when i was younger it was very difficult for me to really maintain relationships with people that were healing um they were very and even now it's to a point um and uh and you know when I, and the funny thing is is that i went to all deaf and to put it in perspective, um, I went primarily to mainstream school where I was either the only or one of maybe a couple of deaf or hard of hearing students school. So I wasn't raised in a deaf environment. I was more raised in a hearing environment. And the reason why it was particularly uh, important to think uh, of me as hard of hearing um, is because when I went to Gallaudet University in 1998, I was shell by the culture of deaf culture because I used to think of myself as being hearing or deaf. And then I realized, wow, the deaf culture was very much in a way the same as hearing culture. And when I say that, it's because um the healing culture viewed me as being deaf but the deaf culture after viewed me as being healing so you had a lot of people in the deaf culture as being kind of underestimate what i can and can't do as well primarily because i did not grow up in a deaf culture and i've always believed that since then um this Sort of a statement that I put on my life about how people view me is that um, I am a healing man in the deaf world, but I'm a deaf man in the healing world. And I realized that uh, I realized after a few years being around both, you know, at the same time, I realized there's an entirely different uh, set of 
world for me. And it took a long time for me to grasp it because I am severe to profoundly deaf, meaning there's, there's still very little things I can hear. And yet there's still some things I can hear which puts me at odds of kind of both worlds because I didn't grow up using sign language. Um, I took, oh gosh, like 11, 12 years of speech therapy. So when people, and even to this day, I will slip up with my speech and some people might look at me and say, how do you not understand this word? Or how do you not understand how to pronounce this word? Um, so sometimes people do underestimate me uh, or they see me as being not in, I don't, I don't want to say not intelligent, but uh, they see me as saying, okay, because he can't hear, he's not able to do this and that. Um, so I would say that I would, for me, a lot of people um, kind of view me until they get to know me. Like at first glance, they view me as someone that, okay, uh, this, um, this person may not be able to do this and that. And uh, if I'm quiet, they think that I don't like to have a conversation. Uh, it's after, and that's actually far from the truth. I actually love talking to people. It's just that when I have a hard time carrying two or more conversations at the same time, it's very uh, challenging for me. Especially when you have people that have different accents or a different dialect. It, uh, it, can, it can be... It can really be exhausting. And, you know, I do a lot of lip reading, which really does help in conversation. And people seem to think that it's, you know, 100%, you know, it works. And that's not true. It's still a lot of guesswork. So, of course, when I'm repeating what I think people say, and then they repeat it, and I'm still having a hard time understanding. And keep in mind, I, I do this with my wife. After, even after being together for 21 years, um, it, I think it can be frustrating for some folks if before they get to know me, and uh, it, uh, you know, it, 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 it's fun. It, it's fun to be able to teach people like how I managed to go out into the world and I view myself as something that not a lot of people might be aware of. Because some people view me as either being deaf or, um, or or hard of hearing. And that's the thing I like to say, refer to myself, hard of hearing. Because when people see me as being deaf, like physically deaf, um, you know, that is one way that you can just, that's one thing you can describe me. But when you're, when I'm among, among people who are deaf or part of deaf culture, I always refer to myself as hard of hearing. Because I didn't grow up with sign language, I didn't grow up with other deaf people. I was not part of their culture. So that is just, that's something that to me, I try to be very respectful of. And so when I try to teach people what the primary difference is, at least in my view, um, it's always interesting to uh, go into details. And a lot of people don't understand that hard of hearing, it can be a, it can be a pretty, uh, it, it can be pretty nerve-wracking at times because when you see, like, 
when you go to events, let's just say, for example, I go to an event and I'm among people who uh, I don't know that are hearing. And and the other thing, too, is when I lip read, you'll notice that um, I'm trying to follow a pattern of how they talk because everybody has a different pace to have the, how they talk or they have a different way of um, moving their lips to say certain words. So you always have to look for clues and uh, so if they say one word, um, I'm taking a guess based on the conversation I'm having. Okay, based on the topic of our conversation, this is the word that they're likely saying, even though it sounds like another word. Uh, so it can be, and it can be nerve wracking. And then when I'm around uh, the deaf culture, people, you know, events where there might be people using sign language, and I do know sign. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't say uh, like an expert in signing because I don't sign every day, but I do try to keep myself a little bit um, up to speed. So I don't, because it's, it's like the old adage if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So I try to uh, keep, uh, teach myself sign. And so, but, what, but the other thing too is it's not just about moving your hand when you're signing. That's important, but body language is actually the most important when you're doing sign language in, among deaf culture. Because if you look at a piece of paper and you see a sentence, and let's just say, for example, you see a sentence that says, what are you doing? Well, when you see that word on a piece of paper, what is the context of that sentence when you're asking a question? With sign language, the body language actually gives you the nuance of what the context is. So if you're saying to someone, hi, what are you doing? When you say it, you hear the word like the, the you know, the curious. Well, if you have a five-year-old that has a Sharpie marker and starts drawing on the wall and you just say, what are you doing? The change in the... Uh, the voice that gives you the context. You're like surprised, but you're upset. Your whole active range, yeah. Yeah, the active range. Perfect example. So, so it's, the, it's definitely something that for me, I have taken um, sort of part of both worlds. And even though, uh, like hearing and, you know, the deaf world, for me, it's um, the way it's, and it's important for me because when people see me, they, refer to me as either being deaf or hearing. And I, I refer to myself as hard of hearing because that's really what I am. Um, but yeah, because people who don't know me, they have an initial reaction to what I, to how I respond. It, uh, it can be, it can be uh, kind of fun <laughs> because then if, if I try not to correct them or make them feel uh, feel bad because they might presume because that's the one thing I hate to do. I, I, I like to, I like to teach people what it's like to be hard of hearing and why there's a huge difference between the two. And uh, and I've always believed that if you are willing to teach people how you live your life according in according to your disability, more people will understand where you're coming from more people would, uh, you know, 
I, I don't tell people that they have to learn sign language or anything like that. I do tell them that if they don't see me wear my hearing aids or anything like that to, you know, tap me on my shoulder. Again, that's part of deaf culture. Um, uh, if I have a conversation with someone and they're not looking right at me, I, I say, hey, can you please make sure I can read your lips? Again, part of deaf culture. But the, on the other hand, I'm a huge fan of music too. So, and I would say one of the, one of the things that I did at Gallaudet was walk around with a Walkman. Um, that's before the MP3 and you know the iTunes stuff, kids. So we used to have things called CDs. Hey, you're aging us, uh, you're aging us there, my friend. You know what? I, I'll be 43 this year. I have no problem aging myself. I, I really don't. But um, even on campus, uh, I actually was stopped a couple of times for walking around campus with headphones and a Walkman by people who were deaf. And they said that that, that that wasn't cool because they feel that if, if you're truly part of deaf culture, you shouldn't... Um, that you shouldn't be walking around because it's on with the head that because it's almost as if you're um bragging in a way even though i've never referred to myself as being completely deaf so so it but it's also one of those things where i tell people mind your own business as well <laughs> i have no problem saying that so so, so yeah i i love how you put that I feel like that's sort of what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to have people understand people that they would never, ever usually meet in their life. Um, I think if the, if we could bridge that gap, we could be a better society and the world would be a better place for it. Um, one thing you did say to me is being part of the deaf culture. Um, you know, tapping somebody on the sh shoulder these days, you know, as me as a hearing person, you know, hearing that, like, you just want me to go touch you, you know, to get your attention kind of scares me because as a hearing person, I'm used to just using my voice. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I'm a germaphobe a little, and I really don't want to have contact with people. I really personally, I don't like shaking people's hands. And it's not a disrespect oh, to that person. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, we're going, we just coming through, you know, we're not fully at the end of it, but we're going through a pandemic. Yeah. And I'm loving the Japanese culture. Just like, can we just bow to each other and just <laughs> give a head nod instead of, uh, hey, we got to shake hands. And yeah. it's just kind of scary to me. But, you know, it, it's that we don't get enough exposure to what another culture needs to help perform. And I think the biggest thing I learned from what you just said was, you know, how do you get someone's attention who is hard of hearing, who is deaf? And I never thought about, hey, I need to really physically interact with this person before I can have their attention. I knew that most deaf people, even, you know, during the pandemic, when we had to mask up, you know, they had the clear plastic for deaf people could do it, but it, the, the masks yeah. weren't available readily for everybody, right. you know, so and, I can imagine. 
well, I will say that for the deaf culture, um, the clear mask wouldn't be as big of a deal, um, especially if they're using sign language. I will say for people like myself, who are hard of hearing and don't rely on sign language, it's especially difficult, I mean, for me, <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for the whole hard of hearing community, but for me, even with my hearing aid, it sounds so muffled that I'm just glad that I can do a mobile order to the local Dunkin' Donut, so I can just walk in, grab my coffee, and not say one word and walk out. I mean, and that's the cool thing about technology these days. It has really helped bridge that gap to the point where, even today, there are many videos that you'll see on um, Facebook or YouTube. Um, when a deaf person goes to a drive-thru, even though there's a sign that usually says, just pull up, every now and then you see a deaf person have a huge problem with doing an order because they can't hear through the, 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 um, the speaker. So they'll go right up to the window to try to do the order. And they'll type it in on the phone, which is great. But because of whatever the processes of ordering, I haven't worked in fast food in years, but whatever the processes of ordering, they'll be told, hey, you need to come into the restaurant to order. Well, that's not always an option, especially if we have kids in the car. And that's, that's the problem. We had something, we had something in Baltimore not, uh, a year ago in uh, Lansdowne, I think. Um, somebody goes to a restaurant and they, they they will refuse service. And manager pretty much was like, you have to come in. And what was funny was they realized that they that the customer was deaf, but they still kept talking to them. And, and here's the thing, lip reading is not universal. If you're raised in a deaf culture, you're gonna rely on ASL, American Sign Language, or wherever your country of origin is, and they have different types of uh, sign. So, so when you don't have that kind of understanding, it does become extremely problematic for the deaf community. And there, there are some large deaf communities, especially here in Maryland. Frederick is one. There used to be one where, um, a small one where I grew up, well, I could say where we grew up, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, but I will say technology has really helped. So it used to be when you were deaf in the 80s and 90s, if you wanted to talk to someone who was deaf, you had to call the Maryland Relay System and use what we call the TTY, and you had a third party that essentially would have to translate what you were saying through the type, uh, through the little itty bitty typewriter thing. Uh, so all that stuff changed when we started using the internet more often and cell phones. Cell phones, I would say, is the biggest, um, probably the best new tool that we have used, get, uh, started using in the last 20 years. Um, because because of the fact that you can just test someone and they get the test message within five seconds and you can keep going back and forth. So technology to me has been the 
a huge upside for the disabled community, uh, especially the deaf community and hard of hearing. So, so I got a question real quick. We, we talked about ASL, American Sign Language. Mm -hmm. Now, with the English language, we have so many different dialects, regional dialects with it, mm -hmm. um, cultural um, ways that, you know, we differently use language. Is that the same in, a, in American Sign Language? Does a person from the South sign differently than somebody from the West Coast, somebody who's Black? who's deaf, you know, signs differently from someone who is Hispanic and, and signs, is is there like a big, huge language culture there in itself? There can be. And just like in any language, there are different dialects, different slang, um, uh, different ways to, to sign certain things. Uh, if, if you go to the more recent edition of a an American Sign Language book. They may have two or three different signs for the same word, and it really depends on uh, how many people use it. But also, there are, in a way, dialects in American Sign Language depending on where you live. I mean, I grew up calling Soto, Soto. And when I met someone at uh, Gallaudet, she was from Arkansas. And she would call Soto Pop, P-O-P, -P, Pop. I had never heard of Coke being called Pop. Um, and then I realized that, you know, okay, so different areas. And then when you go to a place like uh, Gallaudet, which is still the only liberal arts school for the deaf and the hard of hearing, um, I mean, the child shock to me was the culture, but I also realized Okay, you got people coming all the way from California, Arkansas, Michigan, New York. Oh, my goodness. Uh, New York, to me, was always my favorite because you know how you, you know how the New York attitude, you know, somebody comes down from New York and they go, what, what, is, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I always thought it was funny because, again, body language and gestures, are very important in communicating in sign language. And that is the same for where you're from too. So like you, you get the stereotypical New York like mug in, in a way. Uh, and that, that was the same thing. So dialect is also a big thing in sign language. And what's important to realize is that even in America, there are there's a constant debate on how sign language to be used among people who are deaf and hard of hearing. In American sign language, when you sign, it's almost like broken English. There's certain words that we drop, like sometimes is, the, um, you know, words like that. It's not generally used in conversation. Uh, you just focus on the noun, and the verb, and uh, I'm not exactly sure what else, but basically, you try to get right to the point. Like, with two it's, instead it's of short, broken language, it's to yeah. the point, there's no BS in the between it, right? Potatoes, yeah. Um, however, in English sign language, which is how I was taught, you're using every single word in the in, in a sentence, so it's not like broken English. 
you, you and this is how it's and the thing is that a lot of a lot of people the uh, feel uh, there's a lot of debate as to whether that is the more proper way of talking well part of the issue is that when you're talking like when you write um sometimes you write the way you're talking so like if you like for example if you have a um if you have someone that is not used to using the word, you know, is, uh, when they write, a lot of times you're going to see they're not going to write that word. Um, so because of that, there's some debate as to whether th that should change. And I always say, well, I think it's more of a personal thing. Because, again, if you grew up, especially if you're a deaf child with deaf parents, and this was how you were told to talk because the first the first language we always hear is what you hear from your parents or who whoever raised you. So when you're growing up with the way how language is perceived, you're gonna think that that's the correct way. Um, and because of that, that the syntax and all the little uh, things that you see in the conversation, you're gonna pick that up. So when you have uh, some folks that says English sign language is really probably the better way, it might be because they were taught by either hearing parents or that was just how they were taught because that was the way how you could communicate. You talk as you, you would sign as you would talk. And that, I mean, that's pretty much the same anywhere, really. Gotcha. Wow. So, more so another question that popped in my head was you talked about going to the deaf school galliet mm -hmm. um how are your professors were your professors deaf as well or hard of hearing are, are they majority you know um hearing people you know how is that you know help me understand that part of your education well i should say i was only a gallery deaf for only two semesters, I realized that it was not for me. And it wasn't because, it really wasn't the fault of the professors. It was the fact that it was a complete, a radically different environment in the classroom than I was used to. Now, now let's go real quick with that. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. You, you went through regular school, right? Because I remember yeah. you being in regular school. So... Um, you were in classes where, you know, you were expected to read lips, read the board, use what hearing you had yeah. Yeah. To, to understand the lesson. So you then say, hey, I want to go to a school that is designed for me. It's like for you, by you, for us. In a way, yeah. Well, well here's, here's the thing you got to understand. Uh, and this will kind of give you... First of all, I don't think I had a single professor that was not deaf. And keep in mind, when I say deaf, I mean, use sign language. They don't really talk, or they do talk, um, but very limited. Because you got to understand, this was a what I called the deaf liberal arts school, meaning, and I don't realize this 18 years old in 1998. I don't realize that there was a huge difference because again, you got to understand, I grew up with hearing people. 
my family was healing. I had not been in another class with a deaf or hard of hearing student since I was fourth grade. And then after that, I started going to mainstream school from fifth grade all the way to graduation. It was always, you know, like you said, I, I was expected to read lip, take down notes. If I can get someone to help me, great. So when I, so when I went to gather that, I kept thinking, oh, I'm deaf. I didn't realize there was a huge difference between deaf and hard of hearing at that time. Mm -hmm. um, now, it's not to say I didn't have a lot of fun. I, I because I I would but here but here's why not because I was just having fun but it was also a time for me where oh my god I'm I'm among people who are just like me now I never thought that of uh, a difference between deaf and hard of hearing when I went there when I got there that's when I realized okay there is a difference because again I didn't grow up with sign language. I didn't grow up with other people who are deaf or even hard of hearing. I did grow up with people who are hard. Uh, um, let me rephrase that. I did meet people who are hard of hearing at Gallo Death, but even some of them were in the same boat as me that either they didn't go to deaf school or they were not raised by deaf people. And myself and a few other people, we left within our first year because we realized it wasn't for them. For us. So it wasn't completely for us by us situation because for me, um, and, and, and the funny thing is, is, I almost had a chance to go to our death school before I graduated. But I didn't, I was not offered that choice until I was uh, going into my junior year of high school. And I would have had to move all the way to Frederick County. So that's the other thing too. It's like, did I really want to make that huge change? And I, I just decided it wasn't for me. So when you go into the classroom, you're going to get sign language no matter what. So, it was, and because I was still a bit of a novice or slightly intermediate, I was picking up on words. Luckily, I had professors who were really cool and they were. They took their time with me. But it was still very hard to be in an environment where, okay, so I've not had consistent conversation in sign language pretty much most of my life. I'm picking up signs, but it's still hard for me to get into that conversation. And because of that, that was completely different from what I was used to growing up in school. Because not only do you have classmates who are deaf and using sign language, but even the professors had a different method of how they would teach. Because, well, I mean, when you go to school, there are many different ways that a teacher can teach. But they all had the same, typically the same thing. They would say, you know, make sure you do this and that, this and that. So it was almost like a template in a way. Whereas with at Gallaudet University, that was a little bit more difficult because it was it was it was different from the way that I was used to. And because and because of that, 
you know, it was really hard for me to play catch up. And so, like, and they would say, you know, you can read this and that, and I would do that. But still, having that, um, not ha being able to really uh, participate in group because either I'm not under, I'm not picking up what they're saying, or e even, even prejudicial. Um, there was, uh, and I had a roommate who was really cool. He was, he was, he was deaf, and one of the our classmates made a comment about me. Well, I was able to pick that up real quick. <laughs> I could tell that he that this dude was not liking me or whatever. But that again, that you know, and a lot, and a lot of it too is uh, deaf culture has kind of a um, a mistrust of hearing culture of hearing people. Really? We, oh yeah. There's a, yeah, and we can we I can I can tell you more about that in a moment. But um but some prejudice well they're like they saw me as healing again. There's a there's a lot of mistrust, primarily because of so many years of again being underestimated or thinking that they couldn't do it. And also keep in mind, this was in nineteen ninety-eight, ten years prior to that. Um about 1988, 1989. That was a really hectic time at Gatto University because up to that point, they had never had a deaf president of the university. And the university had been around since 1860s, something like that. And when somebody was nominated to be the president, a lot of the students there said, no, we want someone who understands what we go through, not just somebody who studied us. Uh, unfortunately, the person who were among the people who decided um, who would be the new president of the university said that, uh, and I can't say, I don't remember verbatim, they basically implied that the deaf is not ready to take over as president. Oh wow! That, that was that was ten years, less than ten years. So you got to understand from the perspective when you're a part of a group that has dealt with things like that, especially growing up. It's really harder to it's really harder to bridge that gap if you're in your mind you're thinking, oh, hearing people still think of me as this or that. And so you're gonna you're gonna come out and say like oh he doesn't understand sign like and and that was true uh, my roommate he he actually stood up for me and said that I was trying but I I didn't I didn't say anything back to him because I, at that point I was like I can't I I can't dismiss what he's saying and I could and you know again this was a completely new environment for me it was totally out of the blue for me. So as a result, I realized that after a couple of semesters, it wasn't for me. But I went back home and uh, went, went to community college for a little bit. Um, and I even took uh, legitimate ASL classes. Not that I can go back, but it, because for me, even though it's not part of my culture, it is kind of part of my imprint, so to speak. So... You, you have two children. 
they're not hard of hearing or deaf, right? Right. So do you teach them the American Sign Language? Do you teach them about the culture where they can understand you a little bit better? Maybe your wife as well? Or do you, is it just like, hey, I want you to live the fullest life. You don't have to worry about my pressures. Because me, I'm personally, I'm married to a white woman. Um, she can see the things that go on that impact my life because I talk about it a lot. I've always been a talker. Um, but I don't want to burden my stress of life onto someone else. So, you know, how do you take it? How do you, yeah. For me, and keep in mind, I have a six-year-old who has ADHD, and I have a five-year-old who's on the spectrum. So right off the top, I realized, okay, they might deal with something that people who are not on the spectrum or do not have ADHD don't, may not deal with. I try to make it a point, and I would say that my wife and I, we've been together 21 years, and she's healing. And I'll be honest with you, part of me, <laughs> when I was younger, I did not want to date healing woman. I, I, I was like, how can heal, a healing person understand what I am going through, not only as a heart of healing person, but rather kind of physically deaf? So that was something that I, when I was younger, I was kind of thinking, yeah, I'm probably not going to date or end up married to a person who's here. And that changed. Um, I will say that my wife, from the beginning, she asked, you know, if I can choose to sign. And that was the one thing that I, when I was younger, I was very withdrawn. Um, there wasn't a family event where you didn't see me without my Walkman listening to music and not having a conversation with someone. It, it, it's just the way it was for me. Because, again, you had I, I grew up with a human family, even the extended family. I was the only person that was deaf, quote-unquote deaf. And people, and people just didn't get it. And, uh, and that's why I just didn't like having conversations. Even in school, I, I preferred being by myself because it was just much easier for me to be by myself so I did not have to ask people to repeat what they were saying if I couldn't hear them the first five times they said it. And, and, and I, it does make me self-conscious. But for me, one of the things that I realized that I didn't get enough of as a child was exposure to other people that were hard of hearing. For death. And because of that, I try to make sure that my kids understand that. Because number one, they don't, I mean, my oldest son, he understands that I'm deaf. He knows that I can't hear anything. And even at six years old, he knows to make sure that if he has something he wants to say, he stands right in front of me and looks right at me so I can read his lips. And he, and even I mean, he, he, in a way, is rather, um, I don't want to say precocious, but he knows more, he shows more than his age. Because even as a kid, you know, as a baby or a toddler, he would notice that there's something that I would miss. Like if a fire alarm goes off, like the, you know, the smoke detector, he actually would 
one at the smoke detector before he could really talk, and I can't hear it. Okay, so so he I make it a point that they understand not just for my benefit but for their benefit. If I can't hear certain things, like let's just say for example, I have two kids in the basement playing, and I'm up there getting dinner ready or if I'm doing laundry or what have you, doing the housework. If they yell from up downstairs, upstairs, I'm not going to be able to hear them. So for their benefit, if they need me, they I always tell them I'll be, and that is important to me, just for safety reasons. And I also have a five-year-old who's on the spectrum. He's very bright, just has some social issues that need to work out. But we don't know if you really understand that I'm deaf. Testing me with my hearing aid, but I don't, uh, you know, I don't think you really understand. So that again is another big issue that we have to work on. So that hopefully, eventually, he gets it that you know I'm hard of hearing or deaf. But um, you know, but I I make sure I I expose them to things that I dealt with when I was younger. And now I'm not. I'm not saying that those, you know, you know. I was sad when I found out about Santa Claus. You know, I was sad. I, I was sad that I was only getting a quarter and from the tooth fairy, knowing how much money my parents made. You know, things like that. Oh but, man! <laughs> but I, I want them to be kids. But I also, for for my sake and, and for their safety, I, I try to make sure that they're exposed to those kinds of things. Wow, that that is an awesome story, man. Uh, I am so happy just talking to you. I want people to, you know, like not everybody's story is the same. Like I'm sure if I talk to another deaf person or hard of hearing person, they may be completely different than you. But we need to take the time to understand each other, and this is so wonderful. And like I'm gonna put myself into the story. Like we grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, most of the classes that I went to, I was the only black dot in there. Yeah. And can you, you, you felt it, you felt like what I felt being part of hearing deaf, but I lived it. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. Um, I didn't really have anybody to interact with like that who was, you know, could understand the cultural things that I was going through. Um, some of the things people were saying to me, I didn't oh, yeah. have that support method, method. But for me, when I went to college, I chose to go to a historically black college, university, HBCU, University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And, you know, I got that enriched culture that I wanted and felt like I needed. But, um, I also left and went to a predominantly white school and it didn't work out for me. Um, I went to the University of Maryland College Park. It was too big. I was a number. Nobody cared for me. Um, I was I felt like a product like we 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 got 30,000 students. We pump them out. If you get a good education or not. Boom. And I finished my degree at Morgan State, which is a smaller school, but with professors that look like me. Um, don't get me wrong, I had professors who were still white and that, but 
it was an environment that I felt nurtured. It was smaller environment, smaller classes. And it's, you know, just great. And like, I want to compare your story to mine. And like, I feel you, man. I, I, I can imagine, especially, you know, you got somebody hating on you. It's like, this guy. Well, it's kind of funny that you brought up um, College Park because one would, one of the biggest obstacles that I had when I was a kid, and even more so in college, classroom sizes. When you have a basic, you know, biology 101 class, you're going to be expected to be in an auditorium with maybe 200 other students because it's a, rec it's a prerequisite or whatever for your degree. That was among some of because uh, I, I didn't go to College Park, but after Gallaudet, I went to community college, and I tried UMBC. Great school, but I felt the same as you, that I felt like just a number. Now, I, I should say that um, in, in addition to being hard of hearing, I ought to have uh, some anxiety and possibly ADHD, which we found out. It was hereditary, and my son has it, so it's possible he may have gotten it from me. But for me, I love being in a smaller class style where, again, it was easier to understand the professor. And I, and part of my stubbornness, I hated the idea of having to ask someone to write notes for me. Even though, even though like that was readily available to me, the problem was that either they weren't always there or they um, would, might not catch everything that the professor would say. So after UMBC, I kind of gave up on four-year college for a while and just went back to community college, got my associate in history. Well, I should say political science. And when I realized that I took way too many history classes, I qualified for an associate in history. So I was like, damn, two for the price of one. Awesome. So I did that. And it wasn't until I, uh, my older son, Elliot, was born in 2015. Up until that point, I kind of had like, should I, should I not go back to school? Um, and now I realized when he was born, I said, you know what? Either I do it now or I'm never going to do it. At this time, I was about 35 years old. So, so I was looking at a couple of schools, uh, Towson University and University of Baltimore. I, I, when I was younger, I thought, okay, Towson would be a great school for me to go to. You know, it's, you know, you always hear great things about Towson and what have you. But I actually ended up falling in love with University of Baltimore. Now, it's not a... Um, an HBCU school, but um, I would say that, you know, it, it's a good mix of all races there. And there was some, they had a couple of people, you know, that were deaf that were going there. I never met the other person, so we don't all get together. But um, we, we had some deaf people on campus. But, um, but, you know, I actually fell in love with the school because of not only the class sizes, but because their students with disabilities office 
were so genuinely concerned of making sure that I had all the tools. And, and the thing is, UMBC did not have that for me. When I went there, I went there, what is it, 2005? When I went there in 2005, they were very limited in what they could offer me, like um, like a transistor radio, so like I could hear the professor. Knowing that they had at least five or six deaf or hard of hearing people on campus, they only had two or three of those done. And one of them, the, the person would never check it back in. They always kept it for themselves. So that was very hard for, for me. And then when you add into the fact that you have class sizes that are so big that you can't, you can't even hear the professor if you're all the way in the back. I don't care how good the echo was. But I was, but I was the same way as you, Will. I didn't feel like I was in a, a number at UB, UB. And I felt like, okay, I smaller class sizes, more intimate, we can have open conversation. And that's the thing. I love debate. I love debating. Um, one of the things that I had a uh, lively debate was discussing of public funding for stadiums uh, in one of my classes. And I did end up uh, graduating with a degree in government and public policy. I loved government when I was a kid. And um, so many people were like, uh, don't get a degree in political science. That's not going to get you a job. Well, pretty much any decent paying job you want now requires a four-year degree regardless of what you get in. And people are saying, you know, I have to get into computers. I'm kind of okay with that. I just thought, if I'm going to spend all this much money to get a four-year degree, I may as well get it in something that I enjoy talking about and would love to learn. So that's what I ended up doing. But I, I do know what I do know the feeling of again, I was still the only deaf or hard of hearing person in this room. But it felt like it was back in high school for me where okay. Yes, I'm the only hard of hearing person in this room, but the class size is smaller and I'm a little bit more wiser in what I what I can ask for. And I could say like and I'm being reasonable. Don't get back and let me being hard of hearing be the reason why I can't finish my education. Because that I'm like, if I'm paying this much money, I demand the best that I can get. And and that that was just how it was. So Stephen, when you say that, that's one of my biggest things about life in general. Um, people are gonna put up obstacles for you. Yeah. But those obstacles can be overcome. It's just going to maybe take you in a different direction than you expected. But if you have a goal to get where you want to go, you'll find a different door to get you there. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's like you and, know, and, a lot and, of people just expect things done for them. I've yeah. never had that expectation in life. I had to go after what I wanted. And, you know, there's been companies I worked with that, you know, I felt like my race um, kept me back or my mouth because, A, I'm going to speak up when I see injustice in the world. Mm. Um, you just know me over these years. I am not afraid to speak my mind. Mm. And I 
want to see change. I want to see people do good. I want to see the world be a better place. And, you know, I, that's why I'm doing this podcast to help the people do that. Um, so we had a, I had a second question because, like, we killed <laughs> that first question. Um, how do you see yourself? Okay. We, we see how the world sees you. We see how the world interacts. You know, there, there's, we, to me, there's two sides of a person, the exterior, and then there's the interior. And a lot of times they don't equal each other. But so what, how do you see yourself? You know, that, uh, that can be a, um, a tough question to answer. And the reason being is uh, one thing about me that people may or may not realize, I've actually battled depression for almost 30 years since I was in middle school. And you, with depression, you always kind of see yourself or you think to yourself, you know, it's not worth it if you try to do this or that or you know, and the depression also was inhibited partly because again, I was I was around people who were not like me, being hard of hearing. So, and even some of my closest friends, they would make jokes, and they didn't realize that how how much it impacted me until later in life. And and I I didn't take it. Uh, I didn't take it too personal. Even even now, I didn't take it too personal because when I was younger, I was withdrawn and I like I preferred being quiet. Now, and I don't want to bring up politics too much, but one of the things, but I'm actually involved in local politics. And one of the things that I constantly ask people is to have a debate and have a discussion regardless of what your political affiliation is. Don't talk people down. You can hear, but you also need to listen, which is ironic coming from a deaf person. It really is. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I, I'll give you a for instance. For me, getting involved in politics for me is you're doing the best possible civic duty you can. And the reason for that is because a lot of the things that you always hear about in the news is people ranting and raving about stuff they heard or they might have heard. And I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a registered Democrat. I am liberal. I, I, I would totally say that I'm liberal. And when I did some of these events, um, there was just one young woman, I think she was 17. She was talking about one of the Republican Central Committee. She was afraid to talk to me at first because she knew I was Democrat because I was working at a Democratic table. And her friend just came up and just started talking to me. I guess he was Democrat. And this young woman and I started talking. And she, again, she was hesitant to even say that she was Republican. And I, I hate that because I don't want people to feel ashamed in saying that they are this or that. I had, oh God, the, um, back when I used to manage the movie theater, I had this one gentleman 
uh, back in 2015. So, as this one gentleman, he said that um, his religion required him to pray at a certain time of the day. Now, I took the assumption that he was talking about being uh, Muslim. And I said, because I, I try to study these things. I try to learn about these things. I always find it really important. I, To me, I still want to take community college classes, not for the credit, but just because it's a hobby. Like, I, I, I'm like, I will put down money to learn these things because that's what I want to do. And, and, of course, with everything that's happened since 9-11, um, I I'd always felt bad because people that I knew that were Muslim, they were getting beaten up verbally, uh, almost any chance they would get. So when I, I wanted to make sure this man that he was, if, if he needed to do something, he's not, he's not bothering anybody else. He needed to do something. I said, please, feel free. I hate when people get scared not to talk when they can't, when they don't feel like they can talk fully. I always make that that a point to make sure the people, when they talk to me, they will get no judgment from me. Because, I mean, within reason, if you're talking about how, God, if you're talking about how good a 15-year-old, I'm going to say, dude, get away from me. I'm going to say that. But when it comes to certain beliefs, I try to be judge-free, judgment-free, because of that fact that we do need to have that conversation. Um, my best friend, he's black. And him and I will talk about stuff that we're not sure of. Like, uh, like he'll ask me questions about my disability. And I would ask him questions like, what, like, what did he, what did he face now, nowadays? And what's crazy, my best friend, Anwar, he, he's biracial. What's crazy is him and I have so much similarities being a part of two different worlds because him being black and white and he he listens to metal, he listens to hard rock. He also grew up in Prince George's County, predominantly African-American, one of the most, um, what's the word? Affluent. What are the most affluent African American communities you're going to find in the entire country? But he would tell me stories that, well, being among you know other people of color, he didn't feel like he belonged. And I was like, holy crap! That's how I felt among people who were deaf. And and when we have conversations like that, it really becomes eye-opening. And so when so when I try to have a conversation with someone, I want them to feel at ease. No judgment. And the reason for that is because when you get judged or if you get chained, that can wreak havoc on your mindset, your mental health. Um and, and that's why, for me, like the way I view myself, I I I just want to be a good listener to people, so so that they know that they can talk to me, that they have my 
they have my support. Crush. They have my yeah. They have my trust, my support. That no matter what they say to me, I'm not going to judge them. So that's a big thing for me. And when it comes when it comes to politics, we need that again. Uh, and again, I'm not going to go too deep into politics, but we do need that again. We need we need a better debate. This is why I have a love hate relationship with social media. Because social media, to me, it has become really nothing more than a virtual soapbox. And even though you can get a response from something, to me, that's not a, a debate. Like when you st- like the way you and I are sitting right now, and we're talking like this, we can go back and forth. That to me is a good debate. Absolutely. That- but one thing I will say is, so. The fifth state media um, news. It's supposed to be. Well, is it, is it the third state? What is media? Since you're the political guy, is it the fifth state or the third state? Well, journalism is the fourth state. Um, okay. I would say media is probably fifth. Yeah. Okay, so you know the thing that Trump said was that media lies, and you know you know what story recently came out that really hit me hard about that and baltimore sun our local newspaper in baltimore mm-hmm. said they they wrote a piece and if you haven't read it read the article apologizing to its readers that the stance they took on political issues of color by not hiring african americans and it's it's and their and their stance where they took in some political views that impacted the African-American community, the brown community. And it's like, hey, um, how much, you know, how much unbiased media is there? And, you know, it's, 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 you know, you you expect that state to be, you know, it's accountability. It's all accountability, right? You got the legislative, congressional, the executive office, then you got the fourth state being, our news, you know, everybody keeping ties of each other, checks and balances. Mm-hmm. But what happens when checks and balances just goes out there and runs amok? You know, you got a White House that says, I'm doing this without Congress. Um, you got a Supreme Court that can lean one way blue and next way red. There's no impartiality. You know, you even saw that with Trump picking his last judge. You got Congress being so polar that, you know, I don't, I'm surprised they can even get a spending bill because they're passed because they just, nobody wants to give. There's no give take in our, in our lives. And then you have the fourth state who is supposed to be monitoring all of this and, and informing the public, but they have their own agendas. You got Fox yeah. News with their own agenda. You got MSNBC with their own agenda. And where do people get the honest truth? And then you got people who, you know, people are the probably the worst part of it because we have our own biases mm-hmm. and that impacts how our companies are run, how we treat each other. And I'm trying to do this show so bad that I want to open people's eyes. I want to open people to the truth. I, and, and Leo, you hit the head on the nail pretty 
like very well. For me, I I'll be honest. I don't watch Fox News. I don't watch MSNBC. I don't watch CNN. Not because they report news, but I take that with a grain. Like, I use that word very loosely, news. For me, I only get my news from really two sources, the Associated Press and Rutgers. And the reason for that is that when they're putting out facts, that's all, that's all really for the most part that they're doing. They're telling you about the event and they're putting in what they're seeing. And they don't normally put a spin on it. Um, and that's how I get my news. Now, it's kind of funny because, you know, the Baltimore Sun, you know, they're always being called a liberal rag or stuff like that. And one of the th- and and I say this even as a member of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party does not have the monopoly on coming up with decisions that help the African-American community. They just don't. And I'll give you an example. And back during the election in 2020 with Trump and um, Biden, one of the things that really got people up in arms was Ice Cube wanting to meet with Trump about what he could do to help the community, the African-American community. They were up in arms because they thought, hey, you know, why aren't you working with us? Well, he, he's been trying for so many years to get the Democratic Party to come up with a viable plan. And we dropped the ball on it. Even, even nowadays, when I, when I see something that's going on, like let's just say for, you know, redlining is still a thing. I don't care who says what or what, because of the, the and I and I work in Baltimore. I work in Baltimore City. I drive all over Baltimore City all the time. So I see I see the good and the bad and the beautiful and the ugly. Redlining still exists. So when people get up in arms about how one man like Ice Cube, he is trying to figure out which candidate was going to do the best for the African-American community, I said, kudos to him. Kudos. Because you can't, you can't say that you're a party of inclusion and diversity after so many years, and no matter what we have tried to do as a party, things have, things have not changed completely for the better. And, and, and that's why, and don't get me wrong, I am not a Trump supporter. If you know me, I don't, I was glad that he was gone. But as a private citizen, when you are trying to figure out what is the best, what is the best option to better your community, I can't fault you for that. And, and, that's, the, and that's the other thing that, you know, party politics, you know, uh, political identity. I read a book, uh, Team of Rivals, about Abe Lincoln and all the men that were in his cabinet who ran against him, that hated his guts before he was elected in 1860. So my, my favorite thing about that book, it talked in the details, all the different groups that made up 
the Republican Party. And, and, and it's no different now. Even with the Democrats, we have, you know, we have liberal, we have progressive, we have what I call the more conservative Democrats. Republicans have the same thing. They have Tea Party, Libertarian. Um, I, I guess you could say Trump supporters, but I, I don't really characterize them as a, an actual group. The one thing that people always forget is that political parties are driven by whoever, whichever group has the most power. Um, so because of that, you know, I, I, I would say that that's why I say Democratic parties do not have the monopoly on helping the African-American community. But when you get into things like misinformation, you know, Baltimore Sun, you know, they, they, they apologize for that. That's not cool enough. But if you apologize and you fixed it, great. But if you apologize and nothing's really happening, I'm kind of like, okay. Well, to me, it's more the damage you've caused for all those years. Yeah. And, you know, there's, yeah, we, we admit we did wrong. Well, how are you going to fix it? You've right. done damage. And, and it's un, unfixable damage, but it's damage. Yeah. So. And, 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 that's, just, and, and that's just something that even I, I would never presume to think that I understand what the African American community goes through. So, and it was funny though, because I, I was recently asked by um, NAACP. You know what I what did you what did I think was the biggest problem facing the African American community? I was like, are you seriously asking me a white dude that question? I, I, Here, here's I'm, I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why sometimes it's good to ask that question because you're on the outside looking in. When sometimes you're inside that box, you have tunnel vision. And you can't see your own problems within because you have tunnel vision. So I I, I, I commend that person who ever asked you that question because, you know, you know in yourself that once again, it goes back to that word of bias. That you, you, you already have a, you know, part of that bias is you already have that preconceived notion of, I think I know what the problem is, but you don't. Right. And I and I hate I hate saying I think because to me it just makes it seem like this is what I'm seeing, but I don't think it it may not be true. And I hate that because I hate making a statement if I don't know if it's accurate. Because and I, I actually ended up switching the question up. I said, Well, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Uh, you know, I'm trying to do things with the Board of Ed, Board of Education. And I said, this is what I know. Anything that ails, that hurts the African-American community, hurts society as a whole. That's what I know. And, and, and it is true. Because when you see advancement and you see uh, progress being inhibit, inhibited, and it's not moving, it, it's not moving the meter, then that becomes a major problem. And here in Harford County, we, we do have that problem with the 
school system, especially along Route 40, where the majority of the African-American community live, and we are losing teachers at an alarming rate. So this doesn't just impact the African-American community. It impacts community as a whole. So because of that, I, that, that was my response, because I said, this is what I know. If your classroom size goes up to 40 or 45 per class, and you only have one teacher, and they don't have anybody to help with the class, that's going to hurt not only the African-American community, but anybody that goes to that class. And it's not the teacher's fault, because unfortunately, they can only do so much. And, and and that's what that's what I said because I said I'm not gonna say I think I'm gonna say this is what I know, and as a white man I just can't really bring myself to say this is what I think when it comes to the African American community because I I understand prejudice but I don't understand prejudice if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Hey Stephen, it's been an hour plus. I don't want to take any time. <laughs> And I know we can just go deeper in this conversation. Um, so I'm just going to start wrapping up. Um, okay. One thing I do, though, at the end of all my interviews is I ask my guests one key question. All right. Um, please, I want you to leave on a exit interview, like, quote, what do you want people to know about you? What do you want to say? You know, what is the one thing that, you, you know, at the end of this interview, you want people to be like, that's what this interview was about. So, like, for me, I would say my exit interview quote for this would be, um, wow, <laughs> we're, we're a whole a lot alike, but we don't look alike. So what, what would you say? For me, I would say. Don't be afraid to talk about things. Don't be afraid to hear, don't be afraid to be wrong. Because the worst thing you can possibly do is think that you're right and there's nothing different that you that would convince you otherwise on any topic. There's always something to learn. There's always something to be aware of. And just have a debate talk about them don't you know don't feel like that there's nothing to learn don't feel like that because somebody's talking that you can't learn anything or you can't uh you can't get any nuance out of it um and just remember there's always something you know as long as you're doing things from the point of view for good or at least understanding, I think the world would be a better place. Uh, and try not to, t uh, and trust me, I've, I've been offended by things that people would say in regards to my hearing loss. If you're not sure about something, just ask me. I would not take offense. I mean, hey, if a five-year-old is going to come up to me and ask me what the heck are those in my ear, and I don't get offended by that, I can't get offended by a 25 year old who asked me if I'm wearing two Bluetooth at the same time. And that has happened before. Okay. <laughs> so, and the irony is that now my hearing aids are Bluetooth compatible, so I can't get mad anyway. 
So, so I would say, leaving this, I would just say, don't be afraid to talk to people. Don't be afraid to be a part of the conversation. Um, even if it might seem uncomfortable at first, just, if it gets that, if it gets you out of your shell, so that you can learn a few things, just do it. That's what I would say. Thank you, Steve. You've been a great guest today. Um, send me your social stuff. Um, I want to promote you. I want to get your okay. information out there. So, you know, if you want me to share with your Twitter, I'll put that on my website. Um, anybody listening to this podcast, go to www.leoverse.com. That is www.leoverse. Leoverse is all about you entering my universe, but you are the center of it and to get people to talk. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Stephen. And this was an awesome interview. Thank you for having me, Leo. No problem. <laughs>